You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a side cart episode of Vortex Week. All week long, we have been listening to guys from Vortex Optics come on the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, and this episode of the Hunting Gear podcast is no different. We're going to be talking with Ryan Muckinghern about how to choose the best rifle scope for your rifle, and Anytime I talk with someone from Vortex about a particular product that they have or, uh, you know, gun-related topic, everybody says that Ryan Muckenhern is the man. Like, this guy is a wealth of knowledge. Uh, If knowledge is power, he should be the ruler of the world someday because he has a ton of knowledge regarding uh, rifle scopes, rifles in general, firearms in general. And that's what today's topic is about, how to choose the best scope for your firearm. And, man, I wish I could sit here and talk to you uh, and relate to what he's talking about. But self-admittedly, and I admit this in the podcast, I don't know anything about guns, right? I am a bow hunter. And so it's something that as I... I grow into the sport of hunting. Obviously, I'm not going to be able to go climb mountains for the rest of my life. I feel that as I get a little bit older, maybe in seven to ten years, I'll probably start picking up a rifle and going out out west and taking some of those longer shots and, and falling in love with the shooting aspect and then pulling that over into the uh, you know into the hunting realm as well. So just like any hunt you got to be comfortable and confident with your weapon and ryan talks all about that today uh so stand by this is an awesome episode huge shout out to tethered uh just some quick commercials here if you're looking for an awesome saddle company that provides a lot of content on how to be a better saddle hunter uh these guys have saddles they have platforms they have climbing sticks they have uh they have accessories like uh, saddle hunting accessories. You need to go check out Tethered. Um, it is a company that not only makes a great product, but the people behind the product, just like Vortex Optics, uh, the people behind Tethered are passionate and they're participants. So it's a, a, a big, big win there. Hunt Stand, uh, really, what I, I can't, I can't really put into words. I mean, I can try. But you really can't put into words the benefit that a hunting app like HuntStand has on your yearly, annually, annual like hunting strategy. Because for me, you know, I could sit here and, and just read through the bullet points and tell you, okay, um, it has the most up-to-date satellite imagery. It has all of the 
the you know the different types of mapping it has the ability to leave waypoints blah 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 but that that's all great but really it's how you use it that makes it such a powerful tool and that's by documenting everything with the waypoints right scrapes trees uh organized trail cameras uh, tra- uh, uh trail camera pictures uh tree stands past sightings all of that stuff adds up and you look at it and then what you're able to do is say on a certain wind on a certain day i've had good luck in this terrain feature or wherever you're hunting i'm going to get in there and so the data will start to forecast what you know what help you forecast and telling you whether or not you need to get in the woods and ultimately we just want to put ourselves closer to uh, our game and hunt stand can do that through through all the all the functionality all the functionality that they have and uh i think it's like 30 or 40 dollars i think it's 30 bucks for a year and you get all of that so it's very affordable and if you want to save an additional 20 percent, you can enter the discount code sn20 for 20% off your purchase. And lastly, Annihilator Broadheads. If you are looking for a broadhead that is designed for more pass-throughs, because as we all know, two holes in an animal are better than one, the entry hole, the exit hole. And so Annihilator Broadheads and their design, they claim that the wound channel that their broadhead makes reduces drag on the arrow going through causing more more pass-throughs um tons of great information on on their website go check out the the annihilator broadheads website and i'm going to be getting those guys on the podcast here pretty soon to talk about their their products and their design and all that stuff so uh great company great people and i think that's it so let's stop the commercials and let's get right in to ryan muckenhern sharing a ton of knowledge on rifle scopes we're good to go all right cool all right so still here at the vortex hq and we are back again with how long has it been since we recorded year and a half a year and a half yes and what was the last time what did we talk about last time we talked about rifles yeah budget rifles yeah and rifle cartridges and rifle cartridges that's been a spell yeah, and I think we also talked about like what rifle would be best for different scenarios. Sure. Right. So we're gonna we're gonna tap into that a little bit yep. today. But before we get into that, I got to introduce you. Yeah. Ryan Muckenhern, Vortex Optics. Yep. How long have you been working here? I will be here eight years in September. Eight years. Yeah. So. So every time I talk to somebody from Vortex, they say you're the guy. Uh, and, and it really, it's not like, it's not like, Hey, I have a question about this. Yeah. He's the guy. Ask him, ask him. So being here eight years, mm-hmm. y- you must have a really good knowledge base about like all the product lines. I try to. Yeah. 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 It, there, there's a lot of them. I mean, I haven't done a skew count in a while, but we've, we've got 75 plus rifle scopes, yeah. red dots, binoculars, spotting scopes, tripods, range finders. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a bit to keep up on, but I, I've been at it um, from like a career standpoint now, this, it's like the only thing I've ever done. So yeah. I, I started in a gun shop when I was like 15 years old Yeah, and that's kind of been it. And so I, I think, I think I'm coming up on either 17 or 18 years of doing quote guns and outdoor space, yeah. uh, professionally now. So, it, um, it just kind of comes with the territory, so to speak. Yeah. But, so yeah. are you, you know, I, I, 
I know the answer to this question already, but I want to hear it come out of, of your mouth. So sometimes people like I love archery, mm-hmm. but I'm not I'm not one of those guys who can sit down and build a bow. Right. Right. Are you a gun nut as well? Yeah, I, yeah. I'd say so. I really I from a very young age, I've had a fascination with with firearms and ammunition, just whether it was like the mechanisms by which they operate or with respect to cartridges and calibers, just how they do what they do and, and why they do it. Yeah. Um, and then the historical part of it really I'm drawn to as well. Yeah. Like it, it, we're, we're in our infancy of firearms in that, I mean, we can go way back in time to like the 14 and 1500s when they were starting to make these little hand cannons and things like yeah. this. But, um, like modern firearms really didn't get a start until like the 1860s, 1870s, which in the grand scheme of things, wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Um, and so for me, it's been exciting having been in this space for almost two decades, watching it progress and at a, an alarming rate. Yeah. It's just, it's very neat. And, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, on any given night when I get off of work, I'm probably tinkering with a gun or reloading or reloading or, or thinking about what I should change or yeah. how I should change it or why. So you're, you're in the customer service department. Correct. Yep. So sales and tech, if you've got questions about, how our scopes work, how to make them work if they're not, recommendations on what scope to get, yeah, um, or or really anything. I mean, we we pride ourselves down there on being able to chat with customers about kind of anything related to what we do. So if, yeah. you, if you've got questions about what bullets to shoot, what knife to carry, and what boots yeah. to wear, we're we're happy to entertain there, that. You're too. there for, and I have a feeling, like so for me, if I worked for a company. You love firearms. You love talking about it, the historic, all that stuff. You, you have X number of years behind you in, in this specialty. If someone had a company and that company was talking about deer hunting strategy and I was like, customer, oh, I don't know what to do. I, I need to call, I need to call this company mm-hmm. and, you know, talk about, I would love my job. Like, yeah, you know, so when someone calls you and has a problem, you know, if you were a customer service, let's say for like a cell phone company, it's like, I don't know what's going on. I, I bet you that job would just suck. Uh-huh. But because you love the firearm aspect, like, do you get geeked out when somebody calls you and 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 you're able to like talk about something you love but solve their problem at the same time? Every call. Every call. Yeah. And, and when we're hopping, cool, like, we'll, we take a lot of calls, yeah. um, especially like during hunting season or just, just prior to. Um, every single one of them is like a, a new adventure and, yeah. and there's monotony in it in the, in that you may answer the same question three, four times a day or five, six times a day. But yeah. like every individual is, is unique and, and it presents a, a new problem solving technique or yeah. a new recommendation and why. Yeah. Um, and for me, it, it propels me outdoors. Like I've got customers that are asking about products that I had never run before or never even considered running before. And then I see the, their response to these products on the marketplace. And, and it's like, well, I ought to give that a swing. Yeah. And then I do more fun things with it. Yeah. Um, I didn't think I'd get into birding. Um, we have a huge customer base at observation optics, spotting scopes and binoculars, birding. I love birds now. Yeah. now, now I lo- I, last night I was cruising around on my way home because it was still light. Yeah. Checking ponds for different ducks and different duck species and things like this. And 
running my glass and looking at them and yeah. appreciating glass and all that. And yeah, I mean, every every call, every email, every customer that walks in the door is is I have no idea what it's going to be about. Yeah, or I have a general idea what it's going to be about, but I like the intricacies and, and bits and pieces of it. I have no clue. Yeah, and the conversation can go any direction. Yeah, and it's extremely stimulating. And I I I tell you know the CEO all the time. I'm like I haven't showed up for a day of work yet. Yeah, and. I think he thinks I'm half joking, but really, I mean, I, I get paid to do what I do on the weekends, and, yeah. and it's it's extremely stimulating. Yeah, That's, so that sounds awesome, man. And and when, like you said, when you can find that type of job, you said it's really not even a job, no. right? It's just yep. talking about what you love to talk do, yep. right? So, um, like I said before we started recording, man, I'm an archery guy, yep. but I owe it to the people who listen to this podcast to get an expert on to talk about firearms it's something that i don't talk about enough i need to talk about it more uh the last time you were on we we talked about the you know the caliber and uh, rifles and things like that but today i want to talk about scopes yeah okay and i want to talk you know we'll we'll get into the specifics of vortex and things like that but I, i i start off this question with a comment that I hear about firearms and it's really the only one I know and that is spend your money on the glass over spending your money on the rifle is that a true statement it can be yeah and, and I was thinking about that before this um, the adage that I had always heard when I was growing up is you got to spend at least what you spent on your rifle on your optics yeah um, and I think there may have been a point in time where that held a lot of merit um, because there was a pretty a pretty big discrepancy in optical quality, mm-hmm. maybe 30 years ago or 40 years ago, yeah. um, in that you had things that would work and then things that were exceptional. And these days, I, I, I struggle to tell the consumer that, they, that he or she has to do that. Yeah. Like, you can get... On, on the marketplace right now, it is a heck of a time to be alive as a consumer and a, yeah. and a hunter and a shooter because there are some absolutely tier one products out there yeah. that aren't going to cost you a second mortgage. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that there's, there's strategy in it. I mean, if you told me that you were going to head to um, Africa on a big safari and you were going to be hunting dangerous game and you were going to be using, um, you know, an elephant stomper of a cartridge, I, I would probably talk you out of um, an entry-level optic for yeah. a number of different reasons, you know, optical quality aside, um, and get you into something a bit more appropriate. But I think our ethos here at Vortex is we're never going to tell somebody they, they need to spend more. We want to connect yeah. them with the right product. Um, and, and what that means is individual um, to, to the the consumer on the other end of the line or on the other end of the email. Um, so I don't think you need to follow the spend what you spent on your gun kind yeah. of thing. Um, but I do encourage anybody listening or thinking about this to call us because we're going to be as objective as possible and really jump into what works and why yeah. and, and where we think your money is best spent. Uh, because we're using the stuff too. I mean, yeah. you know, all of us on, on our team, uh, we're hunters, we're shooters, we're uh, outdoorsmen and, and, um, you know, our money is best spent somewhere and, and we're not, we're not looking to <laughs> go broke trying to right. just outfit everything that we have, but, um, yeah, strategy in there. Yeah, for sure. So from a, from a consumer standpoint, yeah. right. Uh, there's a secondhand market on archery equipment, yeah. like a guy, you know, like if I, if I buy a new bow, I have another one that 
can be sold. Is there a aftermarket, or not necessarily aftermarket, but is there a second mar- secondary market that you may recommend for someone looking for a use scope? Yeah, a um, <clears throat> couple couple different places. There's a, a Facebook group if you're on on the book. Um, optics buy sell trade. Okay. And then I've seen like just about every company in the outdoor space has a, a group on social media um, associated with it. So like camo archery equipment, um, ATV, UTV. Like I drive a a Toyota pickup and there's, I don't know how many forums out there or not forums. It's not the right word groups. Yeah. I'm I'm kind of a social media neophyte, but, um, these groups out here, uh, that are just buying, selling and trading in in these. And, and there are a couple of pretty darn good ones on, on Facebook and, um, they seem to be pretty well regulated. And, and, um, if you know what you're looking for, um, and you're patient with it, you can, you can come up with some pretty exceptional deals. Um, I think with us, with Vortex specifically, um, and a couple other great optics companies out there too, the, the, the way our warranty is structured is we're not, we don't require registration. We don't require receipt holding. There's not like, um, if you weren't the sink or the first purchaser, you know, you're, you're not, you now don't have the coverage of the warranty. Like theoretically you could find a Vortex optics product on the side of a mountain. Yeah. Um, and if, if, you know, nobody was missing it or claimed it or otherwise. I mean, if you found that product, the moment you hold it in your hand, it's covered under the warranty. Yeah. So a lot of folks will ask me that same question. Like if I buy one of these used, what, what risks am I assuming? And from my standpoint, like as a consumer and then as a representative of the company, I see very little only because whether or not you buy it secondhand, you're still covered. If something happens, we're going to take care of it. If it's in a state of disrepair, um, and, and needs, needs to be pulled in and serviced or replaced, it's, it's still covered regardless. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, I mean, there, there is a, a pretty robust aftermarket support for it. Yeah. Um, so buying a new scope, um, right, you know the history of it, yeah. right? You know the bumps and dings that you put on it. Is there a, is there a buyer beware type of thing that you may, especially from a second hand, buying it second hand or off someone else that, man, they bought it specifically for a gun. That gun may not match your gun. So if you're going to buy it, there's like things that you have to, to consider. Um, yeah, but it would be probably pretty individual. Like yeah. I, I, I really wouldn't have a problem as a consumer buying a second hand optic from a reputable company from Vortex or, or anybody who's got a good warranty. Um, behind that product because like in the event that it was in a state of failure mm-hmm. there's back-end support right um, caliber specific optics are not really something that we do that much mm-hmm. um, so there's no there's not like a compatibility issue there but if you're hung on the fence on this one and, and you're like is this the right move we we get that call in that email multiple times a day yeah and and that's one where like if you want to do a pulse check on it or if you want us to have a look at it or whatever or, or even if you're wondering if it's a good deal or not like yeah. call us we're happy to talk through that one look at the yeah. posting and, and that kind of thing at the end of the day what we want is you to have our product and go use it in the field or on the range or wherever you're going to be uh running around with it um where you get it from whether it's firsthand secondhand from your uncle from your brother whatever that's somewhat irrelevant to us yeah you know we we just like to connect you with it and yeah and i think the biggest thing if anybody's listening to if you are if you are hovering over the buy now button um on an ebay thing and you do have reservations uh, or something like that just just call us email us happy to look at it yeah i i overall wouldn't tell you there's too much anxiety to be holding with gotcha. that kind of thing all right so again 
you know the theme here. I, yeah. I, I'm not. I don't know anything about guns. Right. So, so if a guy would would you? I'm going to throw two scenarios out yeah. there, and I want you to tell me what might be the best the best option here. One scope for multiple firearms, or uh, two scopes, different scenarios for the same firearm or is that a dumb question no 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 that's not a dumb question um i am both of those scenarios depending um so there once was a time before i worked for an optics company that i was rifle rich and optic poor yeah um and so knowing that i could come across a rifle for a really good deal or build something or what have you but shelling out the coin for an optic for every one of them. I mean, sometimes depending on the, the rig I was running or the particular optic that I was looking for, that was an investment that was the, the cost of the unit. And mm-hmm. I was almost like double paying for what I wanted. And so what I did do for, for a long period of time is I would have a smattering of rifles um, configured in such a way that I could use one scope on all of them. Mm-hmm. And I just pull it off and put it on the next one and then re-zero it. Um, that used to induce a lot of anxiety for me. And it used to be like a big mental... Um, gymnastic session for me because I always thought there was like more to it than Mm -hmm. that but um, you know the more I did it the more I was okay with it and so I'd I'd have you know four or five different center fire rifles we'll just make up something and say from calibers 223 to 300 Weatherby and I would use the same optic on all of them Um, I set them up with a particular style of base that that allowed me to do this without having to change the, the optic in the position of the rings or re-level it or anything like that. And, and at that point, all I was doing was removing or losing tension on four screws, putting another one and retensioning them. Um, and then, of course, you have to go through and re-zero them. Yeah. Um, you know, just like any if you're an archery guy and you change something on your bow, you know, you, you change your draw weight, you change your draw length, you change, you know, your, your arrow weighting, mm-hmm. um, you, you're going to have to go re-zero it. And, and that is still unavoidable um, from like a technology standpoint. There's no way to just plug it in and it goes. But yeah, um, yeah, I, I've done that. Um, absolutely. Um, not, not, a, not, a big, not a big deal, really. As long yeah. as the setup is done correctly and you're using an appropriate set of rings and bases so that the, the mating of the optic to the rifle is sound and secure and repeatable. Yeah. Um, yeah, not, not a big deal at all. That, that's pretty easy to do. Yeah. So the, the next question I have yeah. is when, let, let's, let's say you have, your budget is one gun, one scope. Yep. Okay. Is it best to underscope if you're hunting, let, let's just say you have out west and then you have East Coast whitetails. Yep. All right. Uh, longer shot versus probably a shorter shot. Sure. Or overscope. Yep. Uh, and, and that way both bases are covered. Yep. Or what's the what's the scenario? Well, so that is where if you call us, there's uh, 12 of us on, on the team I work on, um, you may get a different answer every time because yeah. there's some some individual preference to this. And, and like um, like Mark Boardman, who, who you spoke with and, and folks have heard, uh, he and I have like different opinions on what is the best scope. Mm-hmm. And, and this is like the Ford Chevy debate, I think, for, for a lot of folks. Personally, I prefer less magnification than more, okay. and regardless of where I am, whether I'm in Wyoming or Nebraska or South Dakota or wherever. Why is that? Um, part of it is just kind of what I grew up with and what I learned. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the, the first time I, I started hunting with an optic, I think it was a fixed four power. Yeah. Um, and then I, I got into like a three to nine and then I never got over that. Um, I never went over that. And then 
for a long time, like I was very satiated with, um, with that, that intermediate, uh, not even intermediate, but kind of lower magnification threshold on my scopes. And, and then I jumped into the West. I started hunting the West in 07. And I had, uh, at the time I was running a Leopold VX3, three and a half to 10. Um, and I ran all over the place with that thing. And, and I took game at some uh, extended distances or further distances. And, um, I also shot game up close and, and I, I thought, okay, well, this works. Yeah. Fast forward, you know, maybe a little under a decade and, and I get into the optics world. Um, I had to forget everything I knew about scopes, by the way, day two that I, I was here, I realized that everything I knew was wrong. Um, I, I get back into it. I really start thinking about how optics or not thinking, but seeing how optics work and where you have wins and where you have losses. And, and for me, I think by accident, I had been in the right spot for me. And that was lower magnifications, which generally lend a more forgiving system and, and generally lend a, a brighter system mm-hmm. um, if, you're, if you're pairing with good optical quality. Um, and it, as a shooter, like or as a hunter, rather, it kept me, I'm going to say, morally um, on track. Yeah. Not that I, I dismiss folks that like to shoot game at further distances. And if you listen to the Vortex Nation podcast, you'll hear me draw my line in the sand at about 600 yards, yeah. which I think is an astronomical distance. Yeah. But um, it keeps me honest and it keeps me um, focused when I'm in the field. Like I, I know what my limits are and the lower magnification optics help me adhere to those. Yeah. Um, so for me personally, if you call me up and ask me this question, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dissect your rifle. I'm going to dissect your your previous um, hunting style and hunting experience, your shooting style and preference. I want to go over what you've used in the past um, and what you liked and what you didn't like about it. And then I'm going to, I'm going to try to give you my best bit on optical quality on, on behavior of optics under magnification. um, And, and then my, my experiences and and what I found works really good and why. Yeah. Um, usually you're going to see me never exceeding like 15 or 16 power on a recommendation, regardless of, of, uh, geographical location. So if, yeah. if you're hunting the West, um, and you're from the East coast, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell you to go buy a five to 25. Okay. Um, now you chat with some other folks, you're, you're probably going to get a different answer. And, yeah. and, and I don't believe that either is right or wrong. A lot of this comes down to like the individual gotcha. and what they prefer. But my, my two cents are less is more. Gotcha. And, and I adhere to that with rifle scopes, binoculars, spotting scopes. Okay. Less is more. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. So I don't, I currently do not own a rifle. I, is a, is a, a single shot 22 considered yeah. a rifle? Sure. Okay. So I, I do own, a? I do own a single shot 22 yeah. rifle that I inherited from, uh, my step grandma. Cool. Okay. So, um, outside of that, I don't have a hunting rifle sure. uh, for big game. Yep. The The first question is, as a beginner novice, what would you recommend for a beginner rifle sure. for me? Um, and maybe even the cartridge that goes with it. Yeah. So here again, we're going to make an assumption. Big yeah. game. Yeah. Are we talking nationally or regionalized? Let, let's, let's say a, uh, a species, mule deer, okay. whitetails, potentially elk. Okay. That's perfect. Um, I would say let's look at the biggest critter first. Okay. Right? Because it, it, it's always easy to use a big gun on a smaller thing than yep. to just use a small gun on a bigger thing. Yep. Um, so elk, big yep. critters, four to six, 700 pounds. They're tough. Um, a lot of bone, a lot of hide, a lot of muscle tissue. Yep. Um, we want a cartridge that's going to 
be able to to break that animal down yep. upon impact. And I'm not telling you you need to go out and buy a 338 Lapua, but we need to we need to set a baseline. Like we need some power mm-hmm. behind it. And then I want to look at like what is your shooting history? Zero. Maybe, okay, so <laughs> so this is this is perfect. My my very best friend growing up, next door neighbor across the street. He and I used to chase critters through the woods with our BB guns. Yep. And every so often we'd uh, rob the gun safe, um, take the old man's twenty two out, and, and go around. Thankfully, my father doesn't listen to podcasts, nor does he know <laughs> what they are. So there's, yeah, I'm okay. But um, so he, archer and shotgunner. We grew up in central Minnesota, and yep. so like we hunted deer with Remington eight seventies mm-hmm. and eleven hundreds and things like this. Um, he moved to northwestern Minnesota. I moved out here. Um, he continued archery. A um, little bit of bird hunting. Uh, of course, I started hunting the West. I started hunting the Midwest everywhere I could. Um, he he reached out to me with the exact same question you just asked. Like, I need to do this. I think I will do this. He drew an elk tag that he didn't expect he'd draw. Like, he, he got in with a group of guys. Yeah. And like, I just put in whatever. And he, he pulled a, a cow tag in, in Wyoming. And he had no anticipation of actually getting it. And he called me. I think this was in probably June. And the hunt was, I think, at, in November, sometime in there. And he was in somewhat of a panic because he he owned, like you, a rifle. Mm-hmm. And it was like a twenty two. Right. Um, archery all day long. Like, I wouldn't want to be within 100 yards of him uh, with a bow because he's very efficient and proficient with it. But he, he asked me the same question. And so I said, okay, we have a, a finite amount of time to get you comfortable with a rig. Mm-hmm. Optic aside yet, we're just focusing on the rifle. And I said... We got to look at your shooting experience and, and understand what like your personal expectation is and then what the expectation when you're in the field is. And, and we're going to draw some lines in the sand and we're going to say 400 yards for this. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have a lot of time behind a bolt action centerfire rifle. Recoil is kind of a foreign concept to you outside of the 12 gauge shotgun realm, but it's yeah. like a different thing, right? Yeah. I said, so we're going to look at cartridges that are pretty modest in recoil and something that you can shoot for an extended period of time um, without like rattling your, your brain loose and, and uh, detaching your retinas. And then also something that's not going to leverage your wallet to the point of, of, you know, despair. And so I I really kind of gave him the quick and dirty. And I said, I think your options are six, five Creedmoor or 30 out six. Okay. And I caveat the six, five Creedmoor. I put a big asterisk behind that one. And I think it's a brilliant cartridge. I think it's, it's light on the capability standpoint when we start talking about large game. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm not saying it's not an L cartridge. I'm saying that if, if I looked at the smattering of rifles I have in my safe, it would not be my first pick on an L hunt yeah. for, for a number of reasons, but it would absolutely do the job. And so we went through this, this exercise and I, I explained to him the merits of each cartridge, um, you know, and versatility and flexibility and, and affordability and it really came down to his compressed time frame um, and then his his need to become proficient with it in that time frame. And at the end of that exercise, we settled on 6.5 Creedmoor. Mm-hmm. This was before the ammo craze. And I said, go out and buy some very inexpensive um, just target ammo. Mm-hmm. And and this was pre-pandemic. And so S&B was selling 140-grain full metal jacket load for like eleven ninety nine for 20 rounds, like two twenty three money. I said, they're, they're more than accurate enough for you to learn the rifle, learn the recoil characteristics, learn how to build the data table, um, chronograph the rifle, learn how drops work, learn how to dial, this kind of thing. 
And in in about a three month time frame, he went from having never pulled the trigger on something larger than that that one gun he had to now being very comfortable to like four and 500 yards. Yeah. Learned how to use uh, ballistics calculators, learn how to tabulate that drop chart, learned what wind has imparting effect on bullets. Yeah. Um, and then we made a selection for a hunting bullet um, that was extremely robust, extremely tough, and could get the job done for mm-hmm. him. And he went from confidence level zero to confidence level like 93. Mm-hmm. And went out there and he shot a fantastic, huge cow elk at like 354 yards. And he put the bullet exactly where it needed to go, and she folded like a $5 tent. And what I think was important about that was he didn't immediately go to the internet and read somebody say 338 win mag, 300 win mag, 300 rum, 300 wisdom, something that he was not going to be able to increase his effectiveness with the, the system through repetition. Just like if we get a new archer. We don't turn their bow to 70 pounds yeah. um, b- because they'll have bad habits from the get-go, and they may never overcome them unless they step back from it a little bit, turn the ego and machismo down, yeah. lower that poundage, and get some reps. And reps in archery, reps in rifle, reps in shotgunning. Yeah. That is how you become good at it. And so he, he from, from that, you know, we've been talking about getting into other calibers and cartridges and going through the same exercise and understanding, like, as you – as you increase recoil and as you increase muzzle velocity, as you increase energy, you decrease um, the pleasurableness of the shooting experience. And then yeah. you, you kind of detract from it. You, you set that rifle aside. And I'm guilty of that too. My my first, quote, um, custom hunting rifle that I had built was a 300 Weatherby. Because as an 18-year-old, I thought that's what I needed to go hunt mule deer and pronghorn with. Mm-hmm. That rifle has not been fired in probably like five years because yeah. it is just ungodly awful to shoot yeah um and i focus more on these lower recoiling um more efficient center fire cartridges because i can actually shoot them better and then at the end of the day that's what's going to do it so very very long answer to that pretty easy question um and and i'll i'll share the same kind of nuances with recommendation in that modesty is key Mm -hmm. so there's a line like i wouldn't tell you to go out with a 243 to go hunt elk people have done it um go a little bit bigger than that Something that you can shoot often and regular that won't break your shoulder and won't break your, your wallet and your mm-hmm. bank account. That is the gun that you will be most comfortable with. And confidence is key with any system that you run. Um, as far as brands go, there's a whole ton of different great rifles out there. I often say... And, and one second, what would, what was that recommendation for me? For, that, for the cartridge or the rifle? The rifle. If I was going to tell you to buy one gun right now, yeah. I'd buy a Tika T3X. Okay. Yeah. Like. Okay. Like snap of the fingers. Okay. Yep. Um, be the last gun you'd probably ever have to buy. Okay. Um, and that's what I told him to get, and he got it, and and have at it. But that being said, like if that's out of your budget, below or above or whatever, it's hard for a consumer to buy a bad rifle. Yeah. From any of the major manufacturers, um, we have we have about every flavor come in the door here um, on almost a daily basis at Vortex. And when we do events like our hunter site, and it's like we have we have two hundred and fifty dollar rifles to you know thirty two hundred and fifty dollar rifles come in the door, and and they all shoot darn good. And so it's easy for a consumer to get into a really good rifle, yeah, for whatever your budget is, um, yeah. Okay, and then the cartridge, modesty. Um, if you were if you were that guy, I would tell you six five Creedmoor two seventy. 308, 30 out six. Um, if you were pretty comfortable with recoil, and you told me that I'm probably going to spend 
more of my time in the West, I'm probably going to evolve into a shooter that's going to want to chase elk more than I am pronghorn or yeah. more than I am eastern whitetails. I may have aspirations to doing Canada and Alaska, mm-hmm. um, hunting where large carnivores reside. We could start talking about 30 caliber stuff as well. Okay. Um, but really, you, I don't want people to think they have to have a cannon yeah. to take a critter down. You have to have the right tool to take the critter down. And remember, as an archer, like we kill big game with arrows. Right. And and we do it really well. Yeah. And apply some of the mentality. It's a different mechanism and, and, and means of, of uh, take, but you don't need to bowl them over on both ends. Yeah, um, gotcha. Something modest, and again, something that you can shoot often and regular. Like I said, 6.5 Creedmoor, 270, 280, 308, 30-06. Okay. Um, we'll so, take you a lot of places. So, and the rifle again was a T3X? Yep. You said? Yep. Okay, T3X. Yep. And we'll just, for the sake of this conversation, yep. uh 270 yep okay cartridge that's what that's what my gun is yep now knowing that yep also me again a novice or or and maybe it's not a novice thing maybe it's a you know now you know i know the cartridge i know the rifle we know the game yeah okay um maybe we can throw in the fact that i'm green as well the scope now sure okay um I'm let, and and what I'm going to preface this by saying that now we've we've bought the gun we've we have the cartridge uh, I'm I'm thinking middle middle of the road mm-hmm. as far as budget is concerned okay. um, I, I I can't afford the top the top and I don't want to go to the bottom sure okay so now let's start talking about the the pairing there mm-hmm. with the scope yep. So in our line, for me, I believe the best value is found at Viper. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's below our top, it's above our bottom, and I think that that's where the consumer is getting the the greatest bang for the buck. In that, optically, mechanically, um, this is this is the best investment. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I'm I'm modest in my magnification recommendations. Um, and I'm modest in, in like the technicality recommendations too. We have rifle scopes that if you want to twist turrets and you want to see a whole bunch of lines in your reticle, we can get you there. No sweat. Is that what's going to make you the most successful in the field? Again, a personal interpretation. My statement is no. I hunt with technical rifle scopes that do have exposed windage and elevation turrets and comprehensive reticles. And there's a time and a place for them, but by and large, the the optic I, I gravitate towards the most, again, is in that Viper line, and it's actually the, the lowest magnification we offer. It's 2.5 to 10. Okay. It's got capped windage and elevation turrets. I can't inadvertently rotate them in the field if I'm carrying them in a pack or on a scabbard or in a UTV or whatever. Um, and then the reticle is a, a pretty simple, we call it a, a BDC, and this is a, a universal term nowadays. Um, just imagine a standard crosshair with three little tick marks. On, on the lower half of it. And these are just reference points. Yeah. Um, and they'll get you to the distances that you'd, you'd probably ethically want to take game, um, you know, about 500 yards yeah. and in, depending on the cartridge. Um, this the, the straightforward pairing and this, this less complicated option, I think, keeps your head clear when you're in the field. Because um, when you do have that window, that moment of opportunity, you're not worried about anything else mm-hmm. other than holding the right line putting that that reticle where it needs to go and touching off the shot so for me and for you when we're looking at this i'm going to show you two uh well actually i'm going to ask you do you want to twist a turret 
what is a twister? Okay. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a question we get all the time. Um, tell me about your bow sight. My bow sight is a, um, it's a react okay. from um, a Trophy Ridge. Okay. Right? So I sight in 20 and 30, and then when I'm sighting in my 30, I can twist something and it automatically adjusts 40, 50, 60. Yep. So, or, uh, yeah, uh, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. Yes. Okay. So you're familiar already with, with adjusting a dial yeah. to compensate for distance. Yes. And there's not, there's not a huge, um, difference between that and a turret on top of the rifle scope to do the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically what I'm referring to here for those listening is a, we call it the elevation turret. Every rifle scope has one. They come in a whole bunch of different formats. So, and for, for sake of conversation, we're going to call them capped and exposed. Mm-hmm. So capped, they're just protected underneath a cap that goes over the top of it. The idea is, is you set it and forget it. Gotcha. Um, the exposed turrets, the intent is you can manipulate them in the field on the range to compensate for distance. Yeah. And at that point, we would we would no longer be reliant on any other feature of the the rifle scope's reticle, other than the center, the crosshair, which is intuitive, right? Yeah. And you you provide input into this turret based on data, um, your flight characteristic of your bullet. Um, you dial in that that amount. You hold the center, and then you impact the target. Yeah. And they're wildly effective. They come with an, a kind of an inherent set of risks, just like you have an adjustable bow sight. I have an adjustable bow sight. Risk number one, you forget to dial it back. Yeah. And then you overshoot or undershoot. Risk number two, you have inadvertent adjustment. Um, on the bow sight, it's probably less prone to happen because they're small and protected yeah. and um, that kind of thing. But it could happen. Um, the same the same nuances and risks exist with an exposed turret on a rifle scope. You could inadvertently adjust it, and I've done that. I the biggest antelope I never killed is because I had inadvertently rotated an exposed turret. Um, lesson learned. Now I I pair back, and I usually use these protected caps. Um, so I would say if you're comfortable doing that with your bow sight already. You really already possess the the knowledge of how that mechanism works. All we're doing is we're changing the position internally. Uh, in the case of the bow sight, it's external for compensating for distance. Yeah. Um, if you were comfortable doing that, and you thought you'd probably find yourself in these greater expanses where shot distances could be further, um, I'll, I'll recommend three scopes. First is going to be our Viper HS two and a half to ten, which I feel is is the most balanced rifle scope in our line. Yeah. Um, it is a do all do anything anywhere anytime optic gotcha protected caps very small robust optic plug and play and then set and forget yeah bdc reticle you can use for holdover at distances if you zero at 200 and you've got a bucket 335 you hold the next line depending on your cartridge and its in-flight characteristics um if you wanted a little more magnification and i understand people do we have the same scope effectively in a 4 to 16 um, so now we're we're adding six more on the top end, and that's a lot of magnification. Yeah. Um, same format, though. Uh, we've got a, a capped windage and elevation. We have this simple reticle, just a little more zoom. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you were comfortable with that turret twisting, which I, it is advantageous, um, is depending on the gun, depending on the species, and depending on the terrain, we have the Viper HS in a line also called the HSLR, LR designating long range. Yeah. So we now move to a, a, a permanently exposed turret uh, on the top of the scope. The windage is capped. Um, you'll see that quite a bit on, on 
longer range hunting optics, you'll see this capped windage because we don't generally dial wind in the field, yeah. just elevation. Um, and those would be the three to start picking from. Now we really just jump into, you know, what what your thoughts are, what what and why you would yeah. want one over the other. My 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 thought process is that I am a archery hunter yeah. over a rifle hunter, yeah. and my interest lies in. Um, my interest lies in archery, but the reason I'm I want to get a rifle with a scope is because I want to extend any type of hunting opportunities. Yep. Right. So, from a work on it type of standpoint, I want a. I'm looking personally for, and this is just me. I'm looking for a rifle that is going to be like I shouldn't say just a rifle. The combination of rifle, cartridge, scope. Mm-hmm. I want those three things to be easily sighted in Mm -hmm. and i want it to um yes i will go and uh shoot every single every single year Mm -hmm. to sight it in before the season but i don't want to have to go from like ground zero every time you know what does that make sense yeah Yeah. absolutely so i want to take it out i want to fire a couple shots say she's still on from last year and and then go yep in that case i want you to look at that two and a half to ten yeah. And that four to 16, yeah. keep it simple. You're an archer. You're used to getting in close anyways. Yeah. Uh, and w- with that being said, like how close is close for you? I mean, you've shot things at 10 yards. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So if it was at 400 yards, either would do the trick. Now we're just trying to deduce whether or not that two and a half to 10 or that four to 16 yeah. in that capped, keep it simple format is yeah. where you want to be. You've drawn this line in the sand at 600, yeah. right? I'm not going to shoot anything that far. Sure. So my question is, have you talked with a lot of guys who maybe are in my similar, like it's, it would be hard for me to, this is a personal thing at this point, but it would be hard for me to take a shot at a animal 500, 400 yards away that has no clue that mm-hmm. I'm there, right? That that's just that's the bow hunter in mm-hmm. me talking about this. So realistically, I would say, and I don't know if this changes what your what your recommendation would be for me, but inside three hundred, two and a half to ten, yeah, yeah, and and you, that's an optic that you'll scale and grow with too, yeah. And so if there comes a time where you are hunting game, where that maybe your only shot opportunity is yeah. at 400 yards and then you ask yourself the the big moral question is well it's it's at four i have the system to do it and at that point in time hopefully we've got the confidence and the mm-hmm. ability to do it do you do it morally yeah and then that's up to you to answer right that's right so um that two and a half to ten yeah every time yeah yeah what is the longest that you've taken game at 532 yards 530 and what was that uh that was a mule deer mule deer yep right so I want to know that. I want to know that that scenario that you were in. Sure. Right. Yeah. So, what was the like? What were the weather conditions? Did you have to adjust for a windage or yeah. anything like that? Uh, it was cold. It was late November. It was northwestern South Dakota. Um, it was getting close to last light, and I'd actually had a pretty awesome injury that day. I had knelt onto a cactus. I've been there. And I I come to learn later that I punctured my prepatella bursaea. No shit. Yeah, that, it, was, it went that deep. It was incredible. It was. I thought I broke. I thought I broke my femur. Um, That's how bad it hurt. It was unreal. Yeah, I I like fell over and I was like, oh, this is it. Like I'm like miles from the truck. Like it's over. Like, like I'm gonna, coyote food. Yeah, correct. Like, 
<laughs> it was like, well, I, I guess I have enough Snickers bars to make it through to morning, yeah. um, which undoubtedly I would eat in 14 minutes anyway. But, um, so I had this cool injury, and I, I kind of like came to terms with the fact that like the ah, the hunt's probably over. Yeah. Um, and so we, my hunting partner and I, had gotten to a, a different spot, hobbled along. I was kind of assessing this. I I bandaged it. I determined at that point in time I didn't actually break a bone. Um, the cactus thing became apparent after I figured out what has happened. So I figured I either went through a tendon, um, or had punctured uh, a disc of some kind yeah. or uh, a sack of some kind. And, and, um, I knew that I wasn't like up a Creek, so to speak, right. like I, I was ambulatory and I could move and, and yeah. things were fine. And so I got some Advil in me and reduced the swelling and taking a break. And, and so we're meandering around here and I'm, I'm hobbling, I'm okay. Uh, and we turn up this deer and it, it was one of those moments where he and I always go back and forth on who gets to take the shot. And generally speaking, it's he who spot it, shot it. Yeah. Um, and he, he, he knew the position I was in. He's like, have at it. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. Um, and uh, the, the deer was across, I'm going to call it a canyon. It wasn't a canyon um, necessarily. but we were, Big drainage. Yeah. We're yeah. Between, between ridges on, on the top of this drainage is exactly what it was. And um, deer was below the horizon line. Um, on the slope, uh, moving left to right, uh, towards the edge of this, um, it was windy on the top, but it was pretty flat. Yeah. Like from a wind standpoint, uh, between my position and the deer's position. And we had ample time to, to really get a good range on the animal and, and figure everything out and, um, uh, just waited for the moment and, and the deer had turned completely and totally broadside, um, turned the optic to 10, um, held the appropriate line and, and pulled the trigger. And I came through the recoil sequence, uh, watched the impact, watched the dirt behind the animal splash up. Um, and that was, uh, I often say it was like the deadest I've ever killed a deer. Yeah. Um, high shoulder hit. Off button. Yep. I mean, it rolled down the hill and it, I was a little slowed up, but by the time we had gotten there, um, it had gotten quite dark. And by the time we had gotten the animal from the bottom of this hill that had rolled down to a, a workable spot so that we could begin breaking it down, um, the stars are out, and we got a little bit of aurora borealis, which was pretty rare for, Man, for the reason. Awesome. Dude, it was magical. Yeah. I mean, it was it was absolutely. I can remember every detail of of that shot. I, I remember, love that. yeah, and not not necessarily because it was the furthest shot I'd ever taken. I mean, that was there was a quote cool factor to that, if you will. Yeah, but it it was just it was just a very awesome thing. Yeah, um, and yeah, I, I remember it intimately. Yeah. I had an MRE to eat uh, that day. It was uh, chicken with rib meat, so. <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't great, but uh, hey, enough calories to get back yeah, to the truck. Right? Yeah, it was it was cool. Um, and broke it down and got out of there and yeah. had a good time. When it comes to rifle scopes, yeah. is there a like you know how the term? I, I I don't like this term because I don't think I think it's made up when it, in archery in the archery world. Yeah. Forgiveness. Oh, the, our oh. our bows are so forgiving. Do, do scopes have a forgiveness level? They do, and at different places. Um, so when I s say forgiveness in an optic, I guess what I'm referring to is is from your perspective as a shooter, how easy is that optic to get behind, mm -hmm. stay behind? And if you're not in an optimal position, um, you know, if you're if you're from the prone and you're used to shooting from a bench or if you're from a, a kneeling position and, and you're on shooting sticks or something, how easy is it to stay behind? Yeah, A lot of this comes back to setup um and you can mitigate 
um, unforgiveness in a rifle scope with proper setup. Like yeah. I, I was actually just tell, telling a gentleman that came into the showroom yesterday, he was, he was quite short. Um, and so fitting, and he had a full-size rifle, fitting the optic he had selected to the rifle to the shooter um, was a challenge. Actually, I went back to the machine shop like three times, and we modified the rail that we were mounting to the gun um, a total of three times, and then there was some handwork in there to get that everything right. But by the time we were done with this, he, he's like, wow, I've never had a gun fit that good. Yeah. And so he was outside of that forgiveness threshold in the optic anyway, just from like a body standpoint. Mm-hmm. It was hard for him to get behind it. We fit the optic to him, and then he found it very forgiving. But really, just just your interaction with the optic at the eye box or at the, at the rearmost lens level, when you get behind that optic, is it presented to you in a fashion that it's like, bam, right there? Yeah. Or do you have to hunt and peck? Or is there what we call sensitivity in eye box, where if you are off a few millimeters up, down, left, right, you lose that sight picture? Um, that would that would be the anti-forgiveness part, right? Yeah. And they do exist. The higher you go in magnification range, generally the lower the magnification, th- or, uh, excuse me, the lower the forgiveness threshold is. They become harder to use. Yeah. Um, it's like horsepower in a vehicle. You know, if, if you're used to driving 178 horsepower, you know, Civic, and then I, I put you in a Ferrari 360, and all of a sudden you've got, you know, 500 horses and six liters of V12, like, that's a hard car to stay on the road if it's yeah. something you're not used to. A lot of that same thing is in a rifle scope. You know, the higher you go in magnification, the less forgiving the optic is. Um, and just like with bows, and this guy was you to a T in that he was predominantly primarily an archer yeah he has this rifle for when it's not archery season right is exactly what he told me yeah and he was a bit concerned at first about how much kind of time and effort i was taking and trying to get this optic fit for him and i think maybe he was he thought he was inconveniencing me or something like that which absolutely wasn't the case and i told him and i asked him i said okay you shoot a bow I said, I stand 6'4", my draw length is X, and you stand 5'4", and your draw length is Y. If I handed you my bow, um, or if you brought your bow into me and I worked behind the counter at the bow shop, and I tuned your bow to me mm-hmm. and handed it back to you, I'd just have done you the greatest disservice you've ever yeah, been served. absolutely. Right? So setup is very important. Um, forgiveness is a thing in rifle scopes. Um, and you'll fall off or fall into forgiveness depending on where you're at with with respect to being in the optics line. Like, mm-hmm. are you on the entry? Are you in the mid? Are you on the high? Um, and then within magnification uh, and things like that. And then setup is also very important for yeah. making sure that forgiveness is, is there either inherently or we set it up. So gotcha. it's forgiving. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, so we're, we're coming to the end of this conversation now, but I want you to talk in bullet points now okay so i'm asking uh, i'm some guy says what do i need to know when i when choosing a rifle scope sure okay and those bullet points are first things first optical quality over optical quantity okay that is a rule that i adhere to uh like crazy that means magnification correct yeah so quality first then quantity and quantity magnification um you can do more with less if you've got the right optic okay um and that goes with low light performance, just image quality in general. We're talking yeah. resolution, clarity, uh, chromatic aberration reduction, et cetera. Yeah. Um, keep it simple from from like the the mechanism standpoints. Um, I don't encourage 
folks in northern Minnesota, northern Wisconsin, Michigan, or the East Coast to go out and hunt deer with a first focal plane rifle scope with a very comprehensive reticle. Yeah. A lot of times you'll find that is not a great user experience. Simplicity does increase your efficacy, I think. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it turns the volume up on the enjoyment factor of shooting that optic. Um, you don't need to spend a ton of money <clears throat> on glass either. Excuse me. Um, I don't want you to, to come to us with the preconceived notion that we're going to take all your money um, or that you need to spend it all anyways. We want to pair you with the right scope. Um, have your budget at front of mind, but don't try to oversell yourself yeah. when you walk into the store or when you give us a holler. Um, we'll, we'll get you there and we'll yeah. tell you why. Yeah. Um, and, and just really modesty, yeah. honestly. That, that's the biggest thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you are like... We talked about this earlier. You're the guy, all right? So Vortex has a crazy, like, a line for just about everybody yep. at every level yep. of of shooting, you know, of hunting. Um, do you have a favorite scope? It w- it would be that Viper HS 2.5 to 10. Okay. I'm nuts about it. Yeah. Um, I really, it is, it's, for me, for the past, I've been shooting that scope since before I came to Vortex. Yeah. Uh, it, it has never left me a question unanswered in the field. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then one of the last questions here I have is, you know, obviously we've been talking a lot about me as a novice, Mm -hmm. you know, guy looking for a quality scope. If there's a guy out there who he's not a novice, Mm -hmm. he's been, he's been shooting the same rifle scope for 15 years, 10 years. uh, And now he wants, you know, he's like, you know what? I, I love my gun. I love what I doing. What I do. Uh, maybe I, I shoot on the weekends as well. And you know, I'm, I'm a firearm. I'm a hunter, but I'm also a firearm. You know, nut. Mm-hmm. Is there? What's the next level? And that, I, I, now, now I know you could talk for hours yeah. about that, right? So keep in mind, like, from a let, let's keep this from a vortex standpoint. Yeah. So. Yeah. At that point in time, we're we're gonna probably go up in magnification. We're yeah. probably gonna go up in technicality. Yeah. Um, and to hone in on a specific line or family rather within the line, uh, it'd be our Razor LHT. Yeah. Um, we make a three to fifteen, and we make a four and a half to twenty-two. Um, and this is what I really consider a technical rifle scope. Not something so daunting that you need to have like a PhD in astrophysics to run. But right. Um, it it's a it's an optic that is is really quite the Swiss watch. Yeah. And the Swiss Army knife and the Leatherman multi-tool all-in-one. Yeah. Um, and we're looking at, you know, comprehensive turrets, comprehensive reticles, mm-hmm. um, a lot of tools yeah. to get you there. And then we're pairing it with a bonkers optical system. Yeah. So now it, it's kind of the full package. Yeah. And it's an optic that if, you know, especially in the 3 to 15, if you were an East Coast guy uh, or gal and you then wanted to be a West Coast or Western guy or gal, it's an optic that you could do both places. Yeah. There's nuances. Yeah. but if you're looking to take it to the next level and you are not, you are not the beginner um, and you've been doing this for a long time. Um, that's a, that's a handy and hearty choice. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Awesome. Well, man, you know that this is a conversation that, that is, is sparking interest with me yeah. because um, there's a little part of me, obviously I, I love archery and bow yeah. hunting, but there's also a little part of me that is like finds a marksman very like being a marksman very interesting and, and having a gun that is capable of being accurate not only from the equipment you know the the gun cartridge scope side of things mm-hmm. but also like 
the form of a, a human and how, you know, the, the ways that a, just like archery yeah. form is very important. Yes. So these kind of conversations are, are interesting, you know, interest me right now because I, I feel like that's ultimately the next step as mm-hmm. I age and bow hunting, uh, at some point is not going to be a thing for me anymore. Yep. Like obviously firearms can reach out further yep. and the whole strategy there, but, um, Thanks for your time today. Yeah, absolutely. Man, appreciate uh, your your knowledge base, and and uh, hopefully it has uh, it has helped it helps somebody out. Yeah. And, and the cool thing about this is, just like you mentioned earlier, it sounds like Vortex Helpline is the place to call if you have questions, whether it's Vortex or not. Mm-hmm. Not right. Yeah. You're going to help anybody out. Hundred percent. Yeah. Absolutely. If if we can provide you with the answer, we will provide you with the answer with whatever question that could be. Yeah. So, well, Ryan, man, I appreciate your yes, time. Absolutely. Pleasure.